In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, many happy returns for the uh, very beautiful uh, uh, days that we are celebrating uh, this period. The Holy Resurrection, of course, uh, we've been celebrating now for uh, almost 50 days. And um <coughs> almost, what, eight days ago, um, we celebrated the, the Feast of the Ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to heaven. And on Sunday, we will be celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost, which is the descent of the Holy Spirit. So all very joyful uh, occasions, a uh, very beautiful time. The Holy Pentecost is a time of, of joy and happiness. Um <coughs> the, feast, uh, the, the account of the Feast of the Ascension is uh, actually uh, mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter 1. And the account of the Pentecost is mentioned in Acts chapter 2. So we can look at these two chapters as they are continuation of um, the, uh, the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Gospels basically end right before the Ascension. And then the first two chapters of the book of Acts uh, continues, uh, picks up from there, and tells us about the Ascension and the Pentecost. So... We can read a few verses in Acts chapter 1. Um, uh, Sharif, if you can read uh, the first nine verses. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his uh, suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. Me, for John truly baptized you with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of is to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons with which, which the Father has, has put in his own authority. But you shall receive powers, power uh, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. So... <coughs> There's a few things in, in this account, yeah, and just quickly, Keda, we can, we can mention. Um, <coughs> of, of course, we see here that uh, the Lord spent 40 days um, teaching them um, about the kingdom, the, the, as it says here in verse 3, uh, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of, of God. So he spent time with them to teach them. Um, explain to them the prophecies, explain to them the events, explain to them how to set up a church. They, they are uh, going to set up a, a universal church, uh, what this church should look like. Uh, if we remember in, in the old time, uh, in, the, in the time of Moses in, in the book of Exodus, God is the one who, who engineered the worship in the Old Testament. He's the one who told Moses how to set up the tabernacle, what it should look like, um, what the sacrifices should be, uh, the feasts, how they should be. And so God <coughs> has a plan how he wants us to worship him. And so in the New Testament as well, he spent time explaining to his disciples how this worship should be as well. Um, 
and, and as I said, explaining to them many things, including the prophecies, because they did not understand all of these things from the beginning. And we see this very evident when he spoke to um, the, the two disciples that, was the, uh, that were on the road to Emmaus, that they did not understand the scriptures. They did not understand the prophecies. And he began, you know, from Moses and the prophets all the way from the beginning, explaining to them all of the things that are pertaining uh, to, to his um, incarnation, to his death, and to his resurrection. The other thing that we see here <coughs> is that he told them to remain in Jerusalem until they receive power. So this, this power is the power of the Holy Spirit, which he told them, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And it was exactly 10 days when the Holy Spirit came down upon them. And the last, <coughs> the last point here in verse 8 uh, he says, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, <coughs> in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's, there's also a, like um, uh, an organization or a uh, plan uh, that God put together on even the preaching. And, and there's, a, there's a wisdom in that. Um, Jerusalem <coughs> is the place where they dwell. It's the place where they know people. It's the place where their families are. Uh, Judea is, is like the state. Like if we say Jerusalem is the city, then Judea is like the state, right? Um, Samaria is actually the enemy. So if, if we remember that, uh, you know, uh, the, the kingdom of, of Judah uh, split from the kingdom, or the kingdom of Samaria split from the kingdom of Judah, and they became enemies, and they didn't have any dealings with each other. And that's why when the Lord... Um, spoke to the Samaritan woman, she told him, why are you speaking to me? The, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So here, the, the, the commission of, of the service is first you start in your inner circle. You first start with, with your family, with your friends, it, with your, within your Sunday school class. And then you expand the service to the larger circle. You're still within your circle, but now you're in the larger circle. So now maybe you're in the, uh, serving your extended family um, or you're serving within your church, still your local church. When you have mastered or when you have experience serving locally within your inner circle and then within the, you know, the, the, the outer circle, then you can start serving other people who are outside of the circle, the Samaritans. And when you have experience doing that, then you can expand your service, as he said, to the ends of the earth. So uh, the Lord wanted to give us a, an example of the plan of service as well, how we should start, we should start. Because some, you know, some servants, when they enter into any kind of service, they, they, they are very ambitious. Like, I want to go and preach to the people that don't know Christ in, in the jungles of Africa. When they haven't even mastered or have experience serving a Sunday school class in their own church. Um, the second um, passage that we will read in Acts chapter 2, um, we'll just read the first four verses. And Sharif, can you read for us also? When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided, to divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
So here we see, you know, the, the, the next major feast, which we're going to be celebrating on Sunday, which is the descent of the Holy Spirit, the descent of the Holy Spirit. Um, and here, the, the, the descent of the Holy Spirit filling the, the, the apostles, it was for the service. Because we re- the, the Holy Spirit gives us many gifts. So we receive the Holy Spirit when we are baptized, right? And this gives us the gift of being united with the Lord Jesus Christ. But then you see, for example, um, in, uh, when somebody's ordained uh, t- to become, for example, a consecrated deacon, or then a- after that to become a priest, or then after that to become a bishop, there's, there's yet another, um, uh, another gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see, for example, the, the bishop who's ordaining the priest, um, he breathes in, into the mouth of the, uh, of the one to be ordained, and he says, accept the Holy Spirit or receive the Holy Spirit. So here, the Holy Spirit is again given, but for, you know, a service. Um, during the holy matrimony, when people are uh, united, they are united by the descent of the Holy Spirit. That's why we chant the hymn of Pi'ibnivma, uh, uh, which is the, the, the spirit of comfort, because that's the point at which the Holy Spirit descends upon um, the bride and the bridegroom to unite them. Um, so here, when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples, it was for the purposes of the service, to make them effective servants. And we, we're going to uh, talk uh, about that yani, in quite a bit. Um, and we see a, a couple of like visuals, which is the rushing mighty wind. So this is like a hurricane, basically. Like they, they felt a hurricane that was surrounding the house and, and shaking the house. And then we see the appearance of the, of the tongues of fire. So wind and fire are representations of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So now what, what we want to discuss... What we want to discuss after this, uh, Yanni, reading these passages, is um, the basically the birth of the church, um, or the apostolic age. How did the church become what it is today? And we're going to focus on the very beginning of the church during the apostolic uh, age. Um, what we're going to talk about is. First, we will have a quick overview of the t- uh, timeline of the Coptic Church so that we can kind of figure out where we are. Then we will talk about the birth of the church. We'll talk about the preaching of the 12 apostles. And we will talk about famous apostolic churches of the apostolic age. And finally, we will touch on holy tradition of the apostolic age. So everything you know, we're, we're trying to understand what was the apostolic age like. If we first look at just, uh, yeah, I need to have an idea of, of the timeline. Um, if we go back like three centuries before Christ, three centuries before Christ, what was happening there? Um, we had the Ptolemaic rule. Those are the Ptolemies that, that ruled uh, the Roman Empire and, and Egypt, of course. And so you had Greeks and Egyptians, um, and so, uh, the the uh, in Egypt, there it wasn't just locals, but there was uh, quite a bit of um, Greek influence. And then, uh, b- you know, the coming of Alexander the Great into Egypt, of course, he he brought with him the Greek culture, uh, Ptolemy in three th- uh, three twenty three. 
Um, and there was also Jewish communities in Egypt. Um, so Judaism was already part of, of, the, of the culture at that time. And then uh, Queen Cleopatra, this is um, very shortly before the birth of Christ, 30 BC. Some of these names, I'm sure Yanni, we are familiar with them. In the first century, we had the Roman occupation. And during the first century, this is when the Holy Family visited Egypt to escape from um, King Herod, who wanted to kill um, the, the child Jesus. Um, and this is when the Holy Family went and spent about two years in Egypt and basically blessing the land of Egypt. And this is where the prophecy was fulfilled, which said, Blessed be Egypt, my people. St. Mark preached to Egypt at the very early uh, of, of the first century, um, in 43 AD. And the acceptance of Christianity, because the, the Egyptians were very religious people, and even though they were monothe uh, monotheists, that means they believed in many gods, but they still, ha uh, sorry, polytheists, but they still had some notion that there is like a supreme God. And that's what St. Mark began to preach with uh, to Inyanus and um, spread Christianity that way. They had some ideas also like the Ankh, which is the, you know, the, the key of life, which looks like a cross, but the top of it is like a, an oval. So this was already a symbol of life, and it was already kind of like a religious artifact. And so when they saw the cross, they were able to relate that to the Ankh, the symbol of life. When we go to the second century, we are we, now we are talking about the, the, the major um, event there is the Catechetical School of Alexandria. When St. Mark went to Egypt, there was already a school of Alexandria which taught philosophy and taught science and mathematics. But he wanted to establish a school to teach the people Christian sciences. And so he developed the Catechetical School of Alexandria, and this was the first institution of Christian learning. And some of the famous deans of the School of Alexandria, uh, St. Pontinus, St. Clement of Alexandria, and Origen. When we skip to the third century, we now enter into religious persecution. And there, there was persecution since the beginning of the first century by Roman emperors. And there are 10 um, periods or 10 emperors that, that persecuted the Christians. But it intensified greatly during the third century. And so some of the emperors, maybe some of them we, we have heard of them, like Decius, like Valerian, Aurelian, and the most famous one is Diocletian. Uh, Diocletian is well known because he, he persecuted Christianity to the utmost. And many, many of the uh, martyrs that we know today were martyred during the time of Diocletian. In the 4th century, we have conversion and controversy. What happened there? After the death of Diocletian, uh, Emperor Constantine uh, reigned in Rome. And Emperor Constantine in uh, 313, he made a decree which gave religious freedom. And so based on that, now people were able to practice religion and practice their worship without fear of 
persecution. And so what happens now is the church started to relax. During the, the first three centuries, the church was under persecution, um, and so the church was very strong, because whenever there's persecution, the church is typically very strong. But now that the church started to relax, so now people started to think. And when, the, when people start to think about things that they don't really understand, like God, like theology, like dogma, then they begin to fall into heresies. So that, that started the, the, the period of the heresies. Uh, the famous one is the, the heresy of Arius, the Arian heresy, um, who claimed that the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, his divinity and his humanity were, were separate, or basically he was lesser than God the Father. Um, and so the Council of, of Nicaea, the famous first council was, was convened in 325 AD, and this was the first council in which all of the bishops um, of, uh, of the world came together to discuss uh, this heresy. In the 4th and 5th century, this was the Byzantine period, um, the Roman Empire now became largely Christian. Uh, King, uh, King Theodosius was uh, reigning during that time or during a period of that time. And during this time is when we had the second and third councils, the Council of Constantinople, which uh, addressed the heresy uh, related to the divinity of the Holy Spirit and the Council of Ephesus in 431, which addressed the uh, problem of the, again, the, the divinity and the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in this case, um, it wasn't like Arius, but it was that, you know, the Lord was born man, and then after that he was endowed with the divinity. And so um, Nestorius was the heretic, and he refused to call, for example, uh, the, the uh, Saint Mary Theotokos, which means the mother of God, but he wanted to use a term like Christotokos, which means the mother of Christ. So he wanted to separate between um, the divinity and the humanity. Um, the the creed that we that we recite in the church today, the first part of it was written in um, in the Council of Nicaea by Saint Athanasius. Um, this was written until the phrase, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and it stopped there. Why? Because there was no controversy about the Holy Spirit. There was no um, uh, heresy. There was nothing to discuss. The people believed um, in, in the Holy Spirit as God. It included the first sentence or excluding the first sentence? Including the first sentence, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay. And that's it. Okay. And then in, in Constantinople, they continued from, yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. So now they began to define the divinity of the Holy Spirit um, throughout the rest of it. In the third council, the Council of Ephesus, um, St. Cyril, the pillar of faith, he wrote the introduction to the creed, which is, uh, we exalt you, O mother of the true light. Um, this he wrote this actually before he went to the council. Um, and it was read in the council, and it was accepted, but it was not included as part of the creed because in Constantinople, after they finished the creed, one of the, um, uh, one of the rules or one of the agreements that they had in the council was that this creed is binding to all the churches, and nobody's allowed to add or to remove anything from it. So they couldn't add the introduction to as part of the creed, but they accepted it as a document that is, you know, has, you know, theology and dogma. Um, 
In the Council of Chalcedon in 451, this, this is when the church split, or um, where the eastern um, churches, mainly Jerusalem, uh, Alexandria, and Antioch, split from the churches of the west, which is Rome and Constantinople. Constantinople actually, yeah, it, was, it wasn't until King Constantine, so it wasn't there at the beginning. <coughs> and these, the, the three Eastern churches is what became today the Eastern Orthodox churches. Rome and Constantinople split from each other later on in 1054. Um, so Rome is what's today the Roman Catholic Church. Constantinople is what's today known or collectively as the Eastern Orthodox churches. And it has many um, members in that family. I believe the last time it was like maybe 29 or so members. So you have the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, etc., etc. Um, we skip to the seventh century. The seventh century, the the major event there is the Arab conquest, um, when the Arabs entered Egypt and and basically conquered it, and so uh, there's there was renewed religious persecution. Actually, there was persecution all during all this time. So whether it was, you know, uh, uh, even during the, the time of the councils, it, it was theological persecution. And after the time of the councils, there was also persecution when, when, the, when after Chalcedon. So um, the, the Chalcedonians persecuted uh, the non-Chalcedonians. Uh, we skip to the 13th to the 18th uh, centuries. This is what's known as the Dark Ages of the Church. This is when um, a lot of things became weak in the Church. This is where we lost a lot of Church texts, a lot of hymns, a lot of um, um, rites. Um, clergymen were not very well educated. Um, and so actually, during that time, um, they would not be like giving sermons during the liturgy because most of the clergy were not well um, uh, advanced in, in knowledge. And so they would read one of the sermons like by St. John Chrysostom or by St. Cyril. And we have remnants of that. We see that in Holy Bascha week. So during Holy, uh, Holy Bascha week, you, you see in some of the hours, we, we read the homily uh, of St. Chinu, the homily of St. John Chrysostom. This is some of the remnants of what was happening during that time because people, the clergy, were uneducated and they couldn't really um, teach the people. Uh, we get to the 19th century, and this is where we have a revival of the, uh, within the church. Um, Pope Carolus IV, he's known as the father of Reformation. He's the one who made, uh, made it a point to teach the people and to begin teaching you know, establishing like a theological school for people to, um, to learn. Uh, and he was aided by Deacon Habib Gerges's, um efforts later on who focused on education and on Sunday school. Um, so the Sunday school movement was, um, uh, you know, put together by the efforts of Deacon Habib Gerges, who saw that it was not just sufficient that we teach the clergy or the, the deacons or the, the adults so that they're educated and then they can teach the people. But he said the foundation itself needs work and so we need to teach the kids from Sunday school and then they will grow to be well educated. 
It's 19, yeah, 19th to 20th century. Um, Pope Carolus VI, um, this was also a, a revival in prayer. Pope Carolus VI um, was uh, a man of prayer, and so he revived the prayers in the church, many of the prayers and liturgies. You know, he, he would pray a liturgy every day, and this was before his time was not a very common um, thing. As a matter of fact, even in the monasteries, they only prayed on Sundays. Uh, but through the efforts of Pope Carolus, he returned the church back to its routine of, uh, you know, daily prayers, daily uh, tasbiha, uh, midnight praises, and things like that. Um, also, during that time, um, the Copts began to immigrate outside of Egypt and go into uh, other countries like uh, England, like the U.S., and so the Coptic Church started very slowly to spread through some of those people that came, became later priests and they began to serve. Um, and also during that time there was a revival of the Coptic language which was almost lost during the 13th to the 18th century. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, the birth of the church. As we already mentioned, that Christ dwelled with his disciples for 40 days after his resurrection, teaching them, and then he ascended to heaven. And we read that in Acts chapter 1. And then he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of the Pentecost. This is Acts chapter 2. The, in, in Acts chapter 2, after the descent of the Holy Spirit, St. Peter gave a sermon. It's actually a very short sermon. I think it's like maybe four or five verses. Um, but because of the power that he received from the Holy Spirit, this very short sermon was able to convert 3,000 people on that day to Christianity. And so we call, we call this the, like the birthday or the birth of the church. The church was born on the day of the Pentecost in Jerusalem. Would be another factor that the people who was preached to, actually they saw these events that Peter says, said in his sermon, but then they saw Christ, and like and so like if you compare it like other other like uh, um, evangelisms uh, like that Saint Paul did like Saint Paul didn't make a three thousand at once um, because uh, he would preach to the Greeks who didn't have any knowledge and previous knowledge to pre uh, to stand on. For sure, the people who were uh, attending the feast in Jerusalem, yes, uh, they they saw the like the hurricane or they heard the hurricane. Uh, they probably did not see the fire come down on the on the apostles, but they they definitely saw some event happening. And like the events of uh, like Christ, like they saw, they know about like Christ himself and his teachings. Like they had they had a foundation from Judaism even. Well, compared to the Greeks, like they didn't have. Yeah, that but this this is not necessarily a, a success factor, actually, because many people who who lived with Christ, including one of his disciples, did not uh, attain salvation. Right, so it's not. Uh, some people say, "Oh, I wish I see an angel, or I wish I, you know, Christ appears to me." Or this is not necessarily a success factor. Um, but faith, that's, that's the success factor. And so here, actually, if you read the, 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 uh, the Sermon of St. Peter, it's a very simple sermon. Um, it doesn't, uh, you know, there are better sermons, actually, that were written afterwards by St. Paul in his letters. 
Uh, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit moving the people, moving the hearts of the people that, that made them, uh, you know, cut to the heart and, and, and accept uh, the faith. St. Paul, when he preached to um, even to some of the Gentiles, they, they were moved. Um, uh, King uh, Felix, he, when St. Paul was speaking to him, he was trembling. But yet he told him, go away now, and when I have, uh, you know, a m a more opportunity, I'll call for you. And, and he never uh, called back for him. So um, it, there's a big factor on whether the heart is ready to accept the message and whether uh, the, the heart is ready to have some faith. There's always, there has to be a leap of faith. Nobody, if we try to convince somebody with logic about God, about Christ, it will never happen. There has to be a ready heart. There has to be a leap of faith. I remember, actually, one time uh, Abuna was telling me that <coughs> he was uh, uh, talking to a person who, who was actually, he used to be Christian, and, and he was a copt. Uh, but he, he had kind of left the faith and became, um, you know, uh, an atheist. And for a long time, Abuna, you know, kept on trying to convince him and talk with him and and proof to him from the scripture and proof to him from, you know, just everyday events. And at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the guy told him, look, Abuna, if you, you know, if you want me to believe, then I want God to appear to me right now and, and like declare to me um, that he is God. And Abuna told him, even if that happens, I don't think you will believe and you'll probably think it's a hallucination. And the man said, yes, you are right. That's exactly what would happen. I will not, I will not believe even if he appeared to me and I'll think that I'm just seeing things. So because the heart is not ready, because he's not ready to take a leap of faith, because he has rejected the faith completely, so even if an angel appears to him or even um, if God himself appears to him, it doesn't mean that the person would, would, uh, you know, would, would come back to the faith. The church began to grow rapidly by the power of the Holy Spirit after the Pentecost. And so in Acts chapter 4, we now see that there's 5,000 souls that were added to the church. Um, <coughs> the believers would go to the temple for prayers, um, but the Eucharist would be held in, in houses. So, like, we can, we can think of, like, the Agbeya prayer. Of course, the Agbeya was not, you know, was not available back then. But when they wanted to gather just to, to pray or to praise, basically it was the Psalms, right? And it actually even, like, most of our hymns and praises are from the Psalms. So they would go to the temple and they would praise and pray from the Psalms. <coughs> but th when they wanted to partake of the Eucharist, this was not to be held in the temple because this was... During, uh, during the praises in the temple, they're actually preaching because there's Jews there. They're going to hear them praising. They might ask them, you know, uh, what, you know what, are, what is the praise that you're saying? Uh, you know, so there's a, an opportunity to preach. But the Eucharist was held in believers' houses. And, and the Eucharist, the, the prayer of the Eucharist, you know, back at that time was a very, very short prayer. Um, it was basically Thanksgiving. Um, and, and most likely... It was a short, you know, Thanksgiving prayer, and then 
what we call today the institution narrative when, when, when Abuna Prezen says um, on the same night he took bread and he broke it and he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it. That's the, 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 the period when the Holy Spirit descends upon uh, the bread and the wine and changes them to the body and blood. Also, because during that time there was persecution, there wasn't any written uh, liturgies. There wasn't any written text. So each disciple, which at that time, basically the disciples were the bishops or the patriarchs. So each one would pray. He, he, he would probably, um, you know, memorized uh, the prayer that he would say, and he would, he would verbally say it or orally say it. The very first liturgy that we have actually is the liturgy of St. Mark. So that, and that was in Alexandria. Um, and if, 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 you, uh, if you compare the liturgy of St. Mark, the original one, uh, to today's liturgy, which is the, the liturgy of St. Cyril, that's taking the liturgy of St. Mark, and, you know, it evolved over time. It's, you know, very short compared to what we have today. Um, and so the Jews utilized every mean to persecute the apostles and the believers. And we have, you know, many examples of uh, when they were beaten, when they were put in prison, uh, etc. The first Jewish group that persecuted the apostles were the Sadducees. And this is, we see that in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. Why? Because they denied the resurrection of the dead in general. And because Christianity is based on the resurrection of the dead, on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this, this was like a complete no-no to them. And so we see in chapter 5 the apostles being imprisoned and scourged. And we see the first martyr, St. Stephen, the archdeacon. Um, the elders and the scribes seized him, brought him to the council. They cited blasphemy against him, and they stoned him. This is in Acts chapter 7. And in Acts cha chapter 7 um, is the, uh, like the sermon of, of St. Stephen, which is a very beautiful sermon because he begins all the way from the beginning explaining to them that this is Jesus, that that you know that the prophet spoke about this is jesus that that the jews persecuted and of course they didn't want to hear again it's the same thing right there the heart is not ready there is no faith so it doesn't matter even if you prove to them they are still not going to accept um saul of tarsus was present during this uh event and he was consenting to the death of saint stephen The first martyr of the apostles was St. James, um, St. James the Just. This is in Acts chapter 12 uh, by King Herod, and this was in 44 AD. And actually, every time I, I read this or every time I think about this, you know, the church was just beginning. It was just starting, right? The, the apostles had just started preaching. We're, we're only in chapter 12 of, of the book of Acts. And yet, we see that right off the bat, one of the apostles is martyred, um, and and we wonder maybe and 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 we maybe we ask God why did you allow this to happen? Like Saint James did not even get a chance to preach; he did not get a chance to serve. Um, but the Lord, of course, uh, he has wisdom, and perhaps he allowed this so that people understand that service is not just preaching, but service also includes. Uh, shedding one's uh, life for, for the faith. 
when King Herod killed uh, St. James, he found that the Jews were happy, and so he seized St. Peter also, and he wanted to kill him. But the Lord had other plans, and he um, allowed St. Peter to escape from the prison. We know the story. The angel came to him, and he wake, uh, awoke him <laughs> from the prison, um, and he had to, like, nudge him and, 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 like, push him because he was in deep sleep, um, which, again, tells us, like, you know, he was not afraid. He was going to be executed the next morning, and he's in deep sleep. In 62 AD, the other St. James, um, St. James the Just, the Bishop of Jerusalem, was martyred by stoning. And then the believers were scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. So actually, all of this persecution, so we, you know, we say, you know, why did the Lord allow this to happen very early? So we see here that because of this persecution, because the believers, you know, were being put under a lot of pressure, so they started to leave Jerusalem and go other, you know, to other lands and other cities. And that helped the preaching. S uh, St. Philip the deacon uh, preached... In Samaria, he preached to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he preached in Caesarea. And then we have in chap Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus to Paul. This was on the road to Damascus. So Saint Paul, uh, Saul was um, a persecutor. He was a Pharisee, and he was a very devout Jewish Pharisee, and he was very um, strong in his conviction that, uh, you know, this way is, is wrong. So he was very zealous. And so in his understanding, the only way to get these people back on the right path is to kill them because they are resistant and they are uh, stubborn and there's no way uh, to save them except by killing them. And so he did that in Jerusalem. And that wasn't sufficient for him, so then he took letters from the high priest to go as far as Damascus, Damascus, which is in Syria, right? Um, to, f to go now actively seek people who are of the way, as, as, as it was uh, mentioned, and to bring them in chains back to Jerusalem to be tried. Um, and then on the, on the road... You know, the Lord appeared to him, and he told him, you know, soul, soul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus who you are persecuting. It is difficult for you to kick against the goads. And then he told him, go into the city, and there uh, Ananias uh, baptized him, and um, that was the, the conversion. Antioch was the gateway by which Christianity reached all the states of the Roman Empire. And the first Christians, or, um, or the, the, the believers, were called Christians first in Antioch. And this is in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 15, we have the first council. Um, so <coughs> when, when the preaching started to spread to non-Jews, which are known as Gentiles, so some of the Jews taught, and this, and this includes some of the apostles, that unless every believer is circumcised, then he cannot become a Christian. He has to go through the door of Judaism in order to become a Christian. And going through the door of Judaism means circumcision. 
So in Jerusalem, the apostles gathered in the first council. This was in 50 to 51 AD under um, the, the auspice of St. James, the Bishop of Jerusalem. And they discussed the matter. And so the, the council um, came up with a resolution. And, it, and they said, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So here the, 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 the apostles are speaking with the authority of the Holy Spirit. And, and that's part of the priesthood and part of the apostleship is that they are communing with the Holy Spirit. They're not just making up stuff as they go along, but they are um, in communion with God, and so they are receiving the messages from God. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you ab abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from se sexual immorality. So you don't have to be um, circumcised in order to become a Christian, but you need to pay attention to these other things. St. Paul got legality for his apostleship and his uh, gospel, meaning his preaching, in the council of, uh, uh, of Jerusalem. So even though the Lord appeared to St. Paul directly, he still went to the church and got authority from the church. And St. Paul and St. Barnabas during, uh, at that council were assigned to preach to the Gentiles. So until that time, the apostles were only preaching to the Jews. In 70 AD, the temple and Jerusalem were completely destroyed by the Roman military. Famines were rampart in Jerusalem to the point where mothers were eating their own children. More than two million Jews were killed. Um, and the Lord had prophesied about this in Matthew chapter 24. Um, and so the disciples and the believers, four years before it happened, they had already left Jerusalem. And so they were not affected by, the, by this um, destruction. Um, and so the church was saved and the church now is able to grow even despite the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, ju just a couple of pictures um, or paintings really showing the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And ever since that time, the temple has never been rebuilt, and it will never be rebuilt. Uh, because the, the Lord Jesus told them what? Behold, your house is left to you desolate. So, because the temple is the cornerstone of worship in Judaism, because the temple is where they offer sacrifices, um, and the Lord is the ultimate sacrifice. So when he came, he offered the ultimate sacrifice. So there's no reason for the temple. There's no reason for the altar of sacrifices. There's no reason for the worship that was happening in the temple. And so the temple, uh, no matter what people say, um, that they are trying to rebuild the temple, there are, you know, I, uh, I actually, when I was, uh, when I visited um, uh, Israel s uh, some years ago, I actually saw that they have, they had, you know, the, the golden lampstand that they had in the temple with the seven, the menorah. They actually have a huge one, and it's sitting right there in the courtyard. And I, I was asking about this, and there, there's actually a plaque written, and basically they're saying they're waiting for the building of the temple. And once it's built, so this is ready to go put it in the temple. But it will never happen. No matter what people say, no matter what people think, the temple will never be built because the Lord said it will never be built. Right now, are the Jews like, are they like unable to rebuild it, or, or they're like they're actually waiting for the Messiah to come to build it? 
No, so right now the 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 place of the temple is underneath the the, the golden mosque, right? It have to be that spot. That was the uh, that's what they believe because that's the spot that you know David built the temple and um, it, it doesn't matter even if they try to move it it's not gonna happen, but um, uh, yeah yeah they they have synagogues. Right, so there are synagogues, but in the synagogues, this is a place of worship, or a place of prayer. So they can offer prayers, kind of like praying the Agbeya, praying the praises. Uh, but in order to offer a sacrifice, it has to be in the temple, and it has to be in Jerusalem. And this is the place where, even if, like I said, even if they try to move it somewhere else, it's not going to happen. The preaching of the twelve disciples. This is just kind of a, a quick overview because each one of these can take like a whole lesson. Um, so St. Paul, he preached in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and he was martyred in Rome, uh, crucified upside down. St. Andrew uh, w uh, preached in Scythia, which is in Russia, and in Turkey, and he was martyred in Greece, crucified on a cross that looks like an X. St. <coughs> James, we already mentioned him, he was martyred, in, he preached in Jerusalem, and he was martyred in Jerusalem by King Herod by being beheaded. St. John is the only apostle that reposed. He was not um, martyred, and he preached in Asia Minor, the seven churches. That's why in the revelations that he wrote, he wrote to the seven churches. That was his area of preaching. Asia Minor, Today is, is basically Turkey. Um, and he reposed in Ephesus. St. James, uh, son of Alphaeus, um, he, he was, um, he preached, so all of them, of course, preached in Jerusalem, but these are the places outside of Jerusalem. He preached in Syria, and he was the one we already mentioned that he was stoned in Jerusalem. St. Philip preached in Asia Minor. He was martyred in, in Colossi, and he was crucified upside down. St. Bartholomew preached in India, Yemen, and Armenia, and he was beheaded in Armenia. St. Thomas preached in Odessa and in India, and he was martyred in India by stabbing. St. Matthew, so, Saint, so the, like the Indian Orthodox Church, th of course, they, they revere St. Thomas because he is their preacher. And the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, they revere St. Matthew because he preached in, in Ethiopia, and he was martyred in Ethiopia. St. Thaddeus, or Jude, he's the one who wrote the epistle of St. Jude, the one chapter. Uh, he preached in Iraq and Odessa, and he was martyred in Persia. St. Simon uh, preached in Babylonia and Syria, and he was uh, martyred in Persia. Uh, he was sawn. And St. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot. Uh, he preached in Judea, Samaria, and Asia Minor, and he was beheaded in Asia Minor. And this is kind of like a map of where uh, the apostles kind of preached. So you can see um, mainly, you know, this uh, Middle East, right, this is where most of the preaching happened. Uh, you see that in Rome uh, they have... Uh, Peter and Paul. This is uh, uh, this is not an orthodox map, but um, uh, the one who preached in Rome is Saint Paul. And he's the one who wrote the letter to the Romans. 
Uh, he spent two years in Rome. St. Peter was martyred in Rome, but he did not necessarily preach in Rome um, as St. Paul did. And St. Paul's uh, preaching extended as far as Spain, which at that time was the kind of the end of the earth. So where did St. Paul preach? So the, the, the book of Acts, you know, basically the first 12 chapters or, or maybe 15 chapters um, is talking about m all of the disciples and their preaching. And then after that, it switches to focus on the preaching of St. Paul. Uh, St. Paul preached everywhere, right? So this is just uh, probably a partial list. Damascus, Syria, Tarsus, Antioch, Cyprus, Asia Minor, Derba, Galatia, Ephesus, Greece, Thessalonica, Corinth, Perea, um, Western Europe, Italy, Spain, and finally he was martyred in Rome. So this is again uh, a map of the preaching of St. Paul. Um, I'm not going to spend time going through each one of these, but I put it here just so we can, we can appreciate the work of St. Paul. He basically went everywhere, right? He did three missionary uh, journeys, and then on the fourth one was basically the voyage to Rome where he was murdered. So what was the main, uh, and we'll talk more about St. Paul, God willing, next week. We'll talk a lot more about his preaching. The main factor in the success of the preaching of the apostles, we already mentioned that it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit called them for preaching, as example, Acts 13.2. He taught them what to say, and they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 4. Um, he determined where they, um, where they preach, and we have several examples of that. And one of the examples was like, you know, the apostles, they wanted to preach somewhere, and then they said, but the Spirit prevented us. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's possible. Um, so God is the one who, who directs our service. And maybe he will tell us, don't do this, do a, di a different service. He led them in the decision in the Council of Jerusalem. <coughs> the famous apostolic churches of the, ap of the apostolic age are four. So the Church of Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, and Rome. So quickly we'll go through this. The Church of Jerusalem, this is the home of Judaism, and this is where Christianity started. This picture here is, is the, the, the Church of the Resurrection, and also known as the Church of the Tomb or the Sepulchre. This is the church that has the empty tomb of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ in it, which was built by Queen Helen in Jerusalem. The first ecumenical council was held uh, in Jerusalem, and St. James the Just was the first bishop. The Church of Antioch, this was the first Gentile church. And uh, we already mentioned that the, the believers, that the term Christian was coined in the Church of Antioch. The believers were first called Christians in Antioch. St. Paul and St. Barnabas ministered in Antioch first. St. Peter went to Antioch after the Council of Jerusalem. This is mentioned in Galatians chapter 2. And it was the base of St. Paul's ministry. He always returned back to Antioch. The Church of Alexandria. 
um, the Church of Alexandria was, was, was like a metropolis. It was a major city, the main city for education, philosophy, and science, kind of like today's Oxford. So if anybody wanted to learn to be well-educated, they would go to Alexandria and learn in the School of Alexandria. Um, <coughs> we, when we read in, chap in Acts chapter 2 about the day of the Pentecost, we see that some people were from Egypt who were there in Jerusalem on the, on the day of Pentecost. So um, they believed and they, they began to minister even before St. Mark came to Egypt. Uh, and this is important because, yes, we, 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 we know that St. Mark is the preacher in Alexandria and he's the preacher in Egypt. Um, but before him, there were some services and there were some believers, but there was nothing organized. So when he came and he preached in Janus and he converted him and then he ordained him as bishop and he ordained three priests with him, then they began an organized religion. They began an organized church. It's kind of like, you know, today, the first people, the first Coptic people who moved to Houston, for example, back, you know, I don't know, 40 years, 50 years ago or something, there's Coptic people, there's, you know, they're, they're Christian, they're Orthodox, uh, maybe they pray in their homes, you know, the Agbeya, maybe, you know, once a month or once a year, uh, a priest comes and prays the liturgy for them, but there's nothing organized, right, until a priest came and set up a church and they began to have regular liturgies and things like that. So it's the same kind of uh, idea. St. Mark, of course, was one of the 70 apostles, not one of the 12 disciples. And he founded the Church of Alexandria. We say that he entered Egypt around 43 AD. Um, and of course, he started service there. But around 57 to 59 is really when the church began to be, you know, well-organized and... Uh, and um, recognized as, as a church. And he founded the Theological School of Alexandria. <coughs> the Church of Rome was the political capital of the church, uh, of the world, so the Alexandria was the educational capital of the world, and Rome was the political capital of the world. The Church of Rome was founded by St. Paul, And many references to that in, in the book of Romans, Galatians, and Acts, and um, many, many references to the preaching of St. Paul uh, to Rome. Um, so those were the four churches. So we have the Church of Jerusalem, Antioch, um, uh, Alexandria, and Rome. Later on, um, in, in the third century, as we mentioned, uh, King Constantine, when he be became emperor, then he built Constantinople, and he moved the capital from Rome to Constantinople, and that's when the Church of Constantinople began to have, you know, um, some uh, influence, as now it is the capital of the world. And actually, that's one of the reasons why Rome and Constantinople split in 1054. Um, so there was some political there was a lot of religious problems, but there was also the, the, there was always this like um, cold war between Constantinople and Rome. Rome being, you know, we were or you know we are the capital of the world, and Constantinople is like, well, you know, you were right, <laughs> you were the old capital. We are now the capital. So, 
Yeah, yeah. The categories of servants in the church, because this was also kind of mentioned or established um, in, in the book of Acts and in the apostolic uh, era. So first apostles, then prophets, then teachers, bishops, priests, deacons, uh, deaconesses or women servants. Um, so these actually are, the, you know, one of the interpretation of the seven orders of the church, right? Um, at least in, in the apostolic age, in, in the new church, there's a different um, set of seven, uh, seven orders. The last thing that we will we'll talk about just in, in like a few minutes here is holy tradition. Because a lot of these things are not in the scripture. They're not in the Bible. They're not mentioned there. And what about all of the teachings of the Lord that he taught the disciples during the 40 days? W you know, we don't have any of that. Not a single uh, sentence of what the Lord told his disciples during the 40 days. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, it's not everything that was written by the apostles. It's what we had and we could, and it was canonized in the Council of Nicaea, like <laughs> centuries after they were written. Yeah. So many things were, were kept in tradition. All the teachings and rituals that the apostles handed to their successors orally through discipleship. Like we said, at the beginning, there was no written text of the liturgy, right? And, and for good reason, because nobody wanted somebody to discover those written texts and destroy them. Then no, they won't be able to pray. But <coughs> instead, it was handed down orally from master to disciples. So, um, you know, from one of the apostles to his disciple, like St. Mark, for example, to St. Anianus. And from St. Anianus to his disciple who would become, you know, the, 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 the patriarch after him. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, there, there are two, uh, two very early church writings. One is called the Didascalia, and one is called the Didaki. And those were written by the apostles. They're not part of the Bible, but they were passed on uh, through tradition. Um, and so tradition is the second source of teaching after the Bible. And St. Paul uh, mentions this in 2 Timothy. He said, and the things that you have heard, so there's oral tradition here. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's, there's a continuation of tradition. So St. Paul taught St. Timothy, and now he's telling St. Timothy, you also have to yani, teach your disciples, and they teach their disciples, etc. In the uh, Gospel of St. John, and truly Jesus did many other signs, Right, so just the stuff that's mentioned is, is a small portion. Did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is the whole purpose of the gospel. Is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. Uh, one, one time uh, Amba Yusuf was talking about the Jesuits. You know, the Jesuits is, is uh, like one of the um, sub-denominations of the Catholic Church. And, um, you know, they focus on, on teaching. That's why ha they have like Jesuit colleges and schools and things like that. 
but he he kind of picked on the name. So he said, you know, the Jesuits, they, they focus on the name of Jesus. And he said, St. John is telling them that all of these things were written so that you believe that Jesus, the man, is the Christ, the Son of God. And yet, th you know, these uh, Catholic people would not make, <laughs> they're not making the transition from Jesus to Christ. And they're just staying at, at the level of Jesus. But so, yeah. Many things, uh, you know, we, we have very few miracles, for example, that, that the Lord did. Um, three accounts of, of raising people. Uh, a few accounts of, you know, healing the sick and things like that. But you can imagine that m almost daily he was making miracles. Almost daily he was having conversations and teaching people and uh, bringing people to the faith like Nicodemus at night and, and uh, the, the wrong young rich ruler. Well, many, many of these things, but not everything was written. Because actually, if we don't believe with what was written, it doesn't matter if we have a hundred more Bibles, we're still not going to believe, right? Um, St. John in his epistle, he says what, I had many things to write, but I do not wish... But I do not wish to, uh, to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. So here, oral tradition. Um, St. Paul in, in First uh, Corinthians. Um, and, uh, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Right. So again, there are many things that, that are not written, that, that were passed on through oral tradition, and and you know that it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? So, um, the oral tradition preserved many things for us, but we also lost many things because they were not written down. Like like we said, you know, during the dark ages of the church, uh, even even now, like you you look at like some of the hymns in the church, and um, nobody knows the the exact hymn, the exact uh, how do you chant this hymn, and it it, it says something like. It's chanted in its known hymn or its known tone, but nobody knows it because it was lost, because it was just oral tradition and nothing written down. Trying to figure out, like, where did it start, like this, um, I don't want to call it obsession, like this, I'll call it reverence, this reverence to, uh, to the Bible, like, I would say the first people, like, to have a reverence to, to their scripture would be the Jews, like the seeing how like probably like we were in probably um we're emulating the jews in how we're like and how they're like the revering the scripture just the same way the protestant church would be like revere or like start from martin luther revering the bible so yeah I mean <coughs> we're definitely still saying that the bible is number one right it's the it's the it's the first source of, of teaching um, but we we um, augment our teaching from the traditions and the church fathers um, and anything you know <coughs> if there's something that contradicts the Bible the Bible will always win like we're not going to take a tradition that says the Bible, you know, th th these events in the Bible did not happen or something like that. And I'm going to say, okay, 
this must be true because tradition says that. Because there are, there are many things, there are many false gospels out there and, and apocryphal writings and, and um, things like that. <coughs> so, but what supports the Bible, or what, what supports our understanding of the Bible, of course, we, we can use. Um, that's actually one of, the, one of the challenges in the Protestant churches is that they don't have tradition or they, they refuse to accept tradition. And so um, they refuse to accept the writing as of, of the early church fathers. They, accept, they refuse to accept um, things that are documented even by the apostles, like the Discalia and the Didache and things like that. And so they're actually losing many, many benefits um, because it's sola scripto, right? It's the Bible and the Bible only. Yes, actually we are a scriptural church. The Orthodox Church is a scriptural church. But we also I allow other sources that support the Bible to help us learn better and to help us worship better and understand better. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, Amen. We thank God for for all your blessings you've given us, both hidden and manifest, for for this day and for this blessed season of of the Pentecost, and for celebrating your your resurrection and your victory over death. Help us, God, to be ready for the for the for the coming season of the Apostles' Fast, being being a, a season of service and to emulate the Apostles. Whom you've sent to, to preach, preach the world and serve the, and serve the, the the flock through the intercession of Saint Mary and Saint Paul. Here, as we pray, thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.